I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Starting in the late 1800s, the Canadian government outlawed ceremonies and traditional gatherings for First Nations people. It was illegal for us to sing, dance, to even wear our regalia. Doing any of these things could land you in jail. This ban was held in place by the Indian Act, a federal law that to this day governs First Nations lives and lands. The ban on ceremony lasted until 1951, when the Indian Act was amended. We were allowed to gather again, to sing, to dance. And in the early 60s, powwows were just finding their footing. And a powwow on Anishinaabek territory at Wequimacong First Nation in northern Ontario was one of the first. Indigenous people traveled from all over to get to this powwow, and Buffy was there. It was just a real typical powwow of those days. Pretty small, lots of families. Some people had really beautiful regalia, or some had really old traditional regalia. The 60s are a time of reclaiming, of being indigenous in a louder way. And powwows are all about being unapologetically indigenous. Wearing bright regalia, dresses that jingle. And it's at this powwow that Buffy, in her early 20s at this point, comes face to face with a Cree man who traveled all the way from Saskatchewan. His name is Emil Pipot. The two immediately have an easy rapport and he invites Buffy to Piapot First Nation, a place he thinks she may have been born. He asks her to come home. I'm Phelan Johnson, and this is Buffy. When you're driving out to Pie Pot, like any other First Nation person, I could probably drive that road, you know, with my eyes closed. My name is Natanis Pie Pot. I'm a Neheo Esquayo from Pie Pot Cree Nation in Treaty 4, Saskatchewan. So Buffy St. Marie is my, she's my auntie, but I guess traditionally, I guess she would be like my great aunt. So you're driving out to Pie Pots on this dirt road, then you go around this bend and that's when you hit the Capel Valley. Capel Valley that she sings about. And that's one of my favorite songs of hers. 
and you go into the valley and then yes you just like have this feeling of home After meeting Emil at that powwow, Buffy heads to Piapot. She spends time with him and his family. You know, they lived in a real small house, and we didn't have any water in the house. We had electricity, but we didn't have water. We had a wood stove, and, you know, I remember the first time I washed my hair in melted snow. <laughs> I thought that was cool. <laughs> Brr. <laughs> yeah. I remember one winter night when we... Uh, walked down maybe a quarter of a mile to, you know, it was it was that late afternoon time before it's really dark and the snow was all kind of dark blue. <laughs> and you crunch through the snow down to the, the hall. We used to just go over to the hall and, you know, the, set up the drum and everybody sit around the drum and sing and a few people dance around because <laughs> there wasn't anything else to do and that's what we did. But it was moments like that that were, Oh, gosh, I don't know. It's it's also personal, I guess. It's a little bit hard to describe. On that first visit, Buffy spends time on the land. She learns. She takes it all in. And she keeps going back. One story that has been passed down to me from my grandmother was the story of when Auntie Buffy first came back to Pie Pot. Everybody was like, there's this girl coming back to our community. She was adopted out, and then she kind of ventured back to Pie Pot. My Chapa and Emil, Chapa, and that means great-grandfather in Cree, he had a daughter that was adopted out, and so it just kind of all made sense. Buffy knew she'd been born in the Capel Valley, likely on the Pie Pot Reserve, and Emil had a baby girl who'd been adopted out, around the same time that Buffy had been adopted and sent to the States. The pieces seemed to fit. But like any Indigenous child adopted during that era, there are more questions than answers. The Pipot family and me, myself, we have never known whether I'm related to them. We don't know. I've tried several times to uh, research, you know, my own birth history. And, you know, I have various tales and stories so we don't know whether or not I'm, I'm blood-related to them or not, and it has never mattered. I, you know, I tried to figure out my story one time. I've asked many of my Cree speaker friends, you know, did they know anything about my story? But we don't really know for sure. So that could be a tragedy of adoption, but for me, it's just the opposite because I found my second family who may be my first family, and we just don't know, and that's okay. And that's okay, because it's about who claims you. So I may or may not be related to that family, and nobody cares. Over the years, my relationship with the Pipot family, all my nieces and nephews and grandnieces and nephews, and it has been totally real for me. There wasn't a moment. There was just a minute-by-minute minute gradual being more and more comfortable, like falling in love. The Pipot family became my, the other half of my reality. I see them more than I see the family who raised me. They are truly in my heart. 
the ones who actually took me in are on, all in the next world now, but we've continued to be family. It's a Cree tradition, at least at our reserve, that if you've lost a child, then you leave your heart open for that spot to be filled by someone else. Since Emil had lost a child to adoption, there was a space in his family for Buffy. The Piapots adopted her. We didn't have a ceremony. Nikwimes in Cree, that's what you call the person who names you. My Nikwimes, he named me, and I don't uh, share that name except with family. Emil has since passed away, but Buffy still calls him her dad and she says she still sees him. I'll tell you something funny, though. The other day, I got up in the morning, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I said, oh, wow. And I thought that I looked like my dad when my dad was getting older. And it was such a, it, it was such a beautiful thought. For me, being home... Being in community is an incredibly grounding thing. It feels like having a cup of water when you didn't know how thirsty you were. Since finding her Piapot family in the 60s, Buffy's stayed close with them. And having that community is a source of strength. It gives her a firmer footing to speak up about Indigenous rights. And she does. Buffy St. Marie, a native, as they say, of Saskatchewan. Fine folk singer with what you might call a special concern. There is a problem. There's a great dilemma. The Indian treaties are broken. The land is taken away. The Indians are denied their fishing rights. What I'm trying to do is to use each time that I appear on television or on the radio or in a concert, to use just a little of that time to inform the non-Indian population what's going on, so that if they want to help, they can. And that's why it's a privilege to be an artist. Because I'm a singer, and I sing about the problems. It's really a privilege to step on a stage where no matter who's in the audience, I'm going to make them feel better and yet not skirt the issues. Of course there's a genocide in America. And the wording was changed from annihilate to assimilate. And America's finding out about it, and Canada's finding out about it. But so far, nobody's doing anything except the Indians themselves. You can make this into the country that it's supposed to be can make this into the Canada that everybody keeps saying it already is, which it isn't. And that's Buffy St. Marie, her music, herself, and her thoughts and opinions of today. If you were an entertainer in the 60s, you wanted to be on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Being invited on meant that you'd made it. Johnny would be sitting behind his desk across from the biggest stars of the day. People like Judy Garland, Lucille Ball, even Kermit the Frog. And Johnny did his best to keep politics out of his show. Even in the late 60s, when the civil rights movement was becoming impossible to ignore. But Johnny wasn't about to have that conversation. So in 1968, when Buffy gets the call to come on the show, it wasn't to talk to Johnny. I was on there because I was getting famous. 
Harry Belafonte had invited me onto a mainstream TV show. Johnny handed the desk over to Harry Belafonte for one week. Harry's an activist and an entertainer. He's famous for bringing calypso music to the masses, songs like Deo, the banana boat song. And Harry's black. And you've got to understand how big this is. A black man hosting The Tonight Show, hosting a show of this viewership at this time. This in and of itself was huge. But his guest list was historic. Martin Luther King Jr., Aretha Franklin, Sidney Poitier. The week Harry's hosting is part arts, part politics, with a focus on the hard conversations that the late-night crowd usually wasn't willing to have about race, civil rights, indigenous rights. And Buffy was there, on stage, singing about colonization, broken treaties, government greed. All of a sudden, it put me in a spotlight on a whole different level where I was talking to a whole different audience. I was on The Tonight Show telling people about Kinsua Dam. And sure, that was fine then when Harry was hosting. And the next time that I was invited onto The Tonight Show, it was Johnny Carson who was hosting, and it was his audience. That's a whole different crowd. And they pre-screened me, and they let me know in no uncertain terms that I was not to talk about Indigenous issues. Oh, that's passe. That's that hippie stuff. That's over. And, um, you know, from that point on, I did not appear in The Tonight Show. But it's not just The Tonight Show trying to control her message. It's other media, too. They want her to be beautiful but docile, tameable. They want a mascot. A caricature, a subdued Indian maiden that you might see on a butter packet. But that's not Buffy. She continues to do things her own way, but she knows she's paying a price. This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. The As It Happens Celebrity Showcase, Spotlight on the Stars. Tonight, Buffy St. Marie. Here's Buffy talking with CBC host Barbara Frum back in the 70s. There's been a, a kind of image, now whether it's been deliberate or, or you were part of it, I don't know, of a very angry person, somebody maybe a little vengeful, full of rage. Was that you ever? I did write Now That the Buffalo's Gone and sing it for the Queen of England the other night. Yes, that's true. I did write My Country Tis of Thy People You're Dying. I did tell people that there was a war going on when the government and the media were saying, no, there is no war. I did feel anger and express it in those songs. you're putting all that in the past tense. That's right. I did all those things. I still do sing those songs. I still write about the problems that I see in society as well as the joyful things that I see in society. And I think that the joyful things um, are equally as important. But that feeling of you as someone that angry, 
that full of rage, is that true? Were you that I, angry? I have been that angry, of course. How else could I write those songs? Because those things are true. I mean, it's a national disgrace that on my own reservation we should have to choose between sanitation and education. It's a national disgrace that we should have to be in this position. The native royalty of this continent should still today, in a society of hip, rich people involved in the media, that it should still go on today. All right, but that surely is not for lack of media exposure. That was one yes, of the most is. heavy mediaized issues in the last decade. It hasn't hit I've as hard as I've even heard editors say, no more Indians I've had it. There was just every bleeding heart in the world was out there doing a series. If the thing hasn't changed, I don't think you can say that it's the press that hasn't exposed it. I'm well, not, I, I'm not arguing with the conditions, but, but your notion that the messenger has not brought the news, I cannot accept. Well, the messenger has not brought the news in uh, such a way that makes it possible for uh, those to whom we're trying to communicate to help. Well, if you people see? haven't changed, uh, I, I don't know. Anyway, we can argue about that one. Let me ask you something else. Are you getting trapped in an image as well? Have you wanted to do other things, but mm -hmm. people say, oh, no, she's... Only get Buffy when you need somebody to squawk and scream. <laughs> well, I think maybe some people have said that, you know, but I haven't reacted to it by, you know, either getting mad or, or showing up but only do you feel when they imprisoned? want to squawk and scream. Not at all. No, I've carried on a, a very exciting career all over the world where I'm accepted as a total artist. Do you think you'll be performing as long as you can? Do you like being up front on stage? Yes, I do. I love to perform before I go on stage and like a racehorse, can't wait to get out of the chute. I love that. I, I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm 65. Ask me then. <laughs> Thanks for coming by. Okay. Buffy St. Marie was tonight's guest on the As It Happens Celebrity Showcase. Here's Buffy singing her award-winning song. You're not an angel, you're a man. I'm not a queen, I'm a woman. Take my hand. Oh, I can't bear to interrupt her. That's really moving. It's a beautiful song. What it is a great song. Yeah. She's a very emotional lady. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's time for us to go. See you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Good night. As a woman, as an Indigenous woman, I've thought a lot about what it means to call us emotional, to call us angry, what it means to paint us with that brush, the silencing, the easy dismissal it provides, the convenience of it. I think about how long Buffy has been dealing with being called angry. Sure, maybe things are better now. People want to hear from Indigenous women in a way that didn't exist before. But they don't want us to push back. Because if we do, well, we are just emotional. We're bitter. Having to choose between sanitation and education. Having an acronym at the ready to describe what happens if you go missing. Having your life measured in statistics, wouldn't you be pissed off? It's a chilly November evening in 1969. A boat with 25 people on board makes its way through choppy waters. They're headed to a small island in the middle of the San Francisco Bay, Alcatraz. The journey to the island was notoriously dangerous. There's a reason why it was once home to the most secure jail in the world. 
It was impossible to escape from Alcatraz. It was also nearly impossible to get to. But this small group, calling themselves Indians of all tribes, they want to take the island back, and they're willing to do whatever it takes. We, uh, the Native Americans, reclaim this land known as Alcatraz Island in the name of all American Indians by right of discovery. We wish to be fair and honorable in our dealings with the Caucasian inhabitants of this land and hereby offer the following treaty. We will purchase said Alcatraz Island for $24 in glass beads and red cloth, a precedent set by the white man's purchase of a similar island about 300 years ago. This was the beginning of something big, of what would become known as the occupation of Alcatraz. And we can't think about this occupation, about the indigenous rights movement at all, without Buffy. I knew that Alcatraz was coming. You know, they were acting as if, <laughs> as if we were the enemy, <laughs> when actually Alcatraz belonged to us. You know, they were acting as though we were taking something from them when actually it was supposed to be returned to us. Oral history tells us that before colonization, local indigenous nations, like the Ohlone, used Alcatraz as a place to gather seafood and bird eggs. Later, the island was a place to hide from missionaries. Years after, it was home to a military fort, and then the prison came. Alcatraz had been a federal prison on federal land, but it had been sitting empty since 1963. And here's the deal. A treaty drafted in the late 1800s stated that abandoned federal land should be returned to Indigenous people, which meant Alcatraz was prime for retaking. The occupation lasted 19 months, and over the course of it, more than 10,000 people showed up on the island. Indigenous people from different nations, non-Indigenous people too. They slept in cell blocks and old administrative buildings and cooked communal meals over open fires. Kids caught crabs off the dock. The occupation of Alcatraz became a movement, and Buffy was the soundtrack. This is the Pacifica Network. In just a moment, we'll go to Alcatraz, but first, here is Buffy St. Marie. Can you remember the time? They created their own radio show on the island, Radio Free Alcatraz. And at the beginning of every episode, there was Buffy. Now that the buffalo's gone was the theme music for the show. Good evening, this is John Trudell from Radio Free Alcatraz, welcoming you to Indian Land Alcatraz on behalf of the Indians of all tribes. John Trudell hosted the show. He was from the Santee Sioux Nation, and he was the official spokesperson for the occupation. Today, he's regarded as one of our most important cultural icons. But back on Alcatraz, he broadcast from a small cell in the old prison. And he spoke about what the Indians of all tribes were doing. The occupation was a way to finally get media attention, to get the nation's attention. We survived the stealing of land and lives. We survived the lies and the deceit and the neglect of a non-Indian America. We now demand that you stop taking our land and our right to be Indian. Alcatraz was a prison, a symbol of what your society has produced. We never needed prisons. This land has suffered as many people have suffered, as we have suffered. 
Together with this land, we shall work to cease the suffering. It is a beginning. The Indians of all tribes managed to broadcast their message across the country. The show was syndicated throughout the United States. And as Alcatraz was making headlines, Buffy was using her fame, her power, her visibility to support the occupation. There are reasons why we're trying to do things at Alcatraz. We're not just trying to get our names in the paper. We got problems that we have to solve because you folks aren't coming through. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the person that you've all been waiting for, Miss Buffy St. Marie. A month after the occupation starts, Buffy headlines this benefit concert. She plays to a packed crowd in an old church in Stanford, California. And all the money raised goes to the occupation of Alcatraz. I'll return to the rock. I'll return to the hill. And it's not just that she supports the occupation. It's the way she does it. She's strategic. If you're getting famous, if a young person getting famous, all of a sudden you feel as though you're, instead of helping, maybe you're stealing the spotlight away from others. I had a consciousness of that very, very young, and I didn't want to do that. So I wanted to provide something. You know, I went over a couple of times, and that's nothing. But providing water is what they needed. Nobody had thought about that one. So I was trying to help by providing water. Alcatraz is a tourist destination now, a museum. But at the time, the prison was in pretty terrible disrepair. There were only three working toilets, no reliable power supply, and barely any drinking water. When the Indians of all tribes took the island, they said it looked like a reserve. Sure sounds like one to me. If Alcatraz was a reserve, Buffy made sure it was one that at least had clean drinking water. But even with all the media attention and Buffy's support, the occupation could only hold on for so long. Most of you might have heard that the U.S. Uh, Marshals or the United States government has taken back the uh, Big Rock, or as it's known as Alcatraz, in San Francisco Bay, and they chased the Indians off. On June 11, 1971, U.S. Marshals armed with shotguns move onto the island and remove the remaining land defenders. The occupation had ended. But what it showed Indigenous people, and what it showed Buffy, was what was possible. What we can do if we come together, if we use the media and take control of the message. The occupation of Alcatraz extended beyond the walls of that old prison and beyond the shores of that island. It stretched across the land and showed Indigenous protesters, activists, and land defenders how to be heard. It provided a method, a way to reclaim space. In a lot of ways, it was the original land back movement. Alcatraz was like a roadmap for things to come. Reoccupations of Indigenous lands throughout the United States and Canada. Wounded Knee, Oka, Ipperwash, Unistaten, land back lane in my community. And when I look back over the decades of Indigenous resistance and resilience since Alcatraz, Buffy's always there, lending her support, 
lending her voice. But all this speaking out gets Buffy into trouble by some pretty powerful people. The thing about, you know, FBI files on you, uh, they do a lot of damage, but that's not the point. I mean, it's not as though the U.S. government passed an act of Congress against me. It's not like that. It's a couple of guys in the administration. They go in the back room, they make nasty phone calls, and that, that is, that's how it's done. That's on the next episode of Buffy. Buffy is written and produced by me, Phelan Johnson, with our showrunner, Zoe Tennant, and our producer, Eunice Kim. Additional producing from Leah Simone Bowen. Yvette Nolan is our story consultant. Editing and sound design by Mira Bertwin-Tonic and Nigel Irwin. Additional story editing by Mira Bertwin-Tonic. Our theme music is by Nigel Irwin. Roshni Nair is our digital producer. Tanya Springer is our senior producer. And Arif Narani is the director of CBC Podcasts. Special thanks to Jeff Turner, Cecil Fernandez, Austin Pomeroy, Kate Zeman, and Keith Hart. And to Andrea Warner and Blair Stonechild for their biographies on Buffy. And a very special thanks to historian Kent Blansett for the invaluable resource that is his book, A Journey to Freedom, Richard Oakes, Alcatraz, and the Red Power Movement. If you've been enjoying our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please take some time to give us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.